Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Does God ever seem distant to you? Well, no matter how you feel, God is real. To mature your friendship, God will test it with periods of seeming separation, times when it feels as if he has abandoned or forgotten you. But God doesn't leave you. He has promised repeatedly, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God admits that sometimes he hides his face from us. This is a normal part of the testing and maturing of your friendship with God. Job said, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I turn to the south, but I cannot find him. But he knows where I am going. And when he has tested me like gold in a fire, he will pronounce me innocent. So now tell me, how do you praise God when you don't understand what's happening in your life and God is silent? You do what Job did. Tell God exactly how you feel. I can't be quiet, said Job. I am angry and bitter. I have to speak. This sounds like a contradiction. I trust God, but I'm wiped out. Regardless of circumstances and how you feel, hang on to God's unchanging character. He is good and loving. He is all-powerful. He notices every detail of my life. He is in control. He will save me. Circumstances cannot change the character of God. Trust God to keep his promises and remember what God has already done for you. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair shows you how to trust God with a reminder to remember his promise to you, I will never leave you. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you doing today? Well, I think I'm doing pretty well, thank you, and yourself? Not bad at all. As a matter of fact, you know, we're already winding down the month of January. Are you still on track keeping your New Year's resolutions? Did you say I was whining during January? No, winding down January. Oh, winding down January. Yes, well, it's going by very quickly. It is. True. Oh, I don't have time to make resolutions. I'm always re- resolute to do something. Uh, it, Actually, I do have one, if I yeah. may interrupt you there. I, sure. I made one spiritual one that I have been, well, I ask God's grace to do it. But, you know, making a holy hour, and I mean devoting one whole hour from beginning to end in prayer every day. Every is, day? Is something that every saint uh, who has, well, every saint, so many saints have commended. I think of the great Fulton Sheen, who wrote even books about this, about priestly spirituality and holy hour, how important it is to make an effort to do this. And I have in the new year been trying to do this. It doesn't have to be the same time every day. Sometimes I do it in the morning, sometimes at night. And I'm a little hesitant to tell you because maybe I'll falter and I won't keep up with this, but I'm doing my darndest and asking God's help to spend one hour a day in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And I'm not boasting about this because God knows, uh, I hope I can, I won't, you know, fall down. I commend you. I commend you. he says that every priest, Father John, every priest should make a holy hour every day. And yet you and I both know that most of us don't. Bishop Sheen? Bishop Sheen? Yes, yes. Well, I must tell you, I must tell you, times have changed since Bishop Sheen lived on the face of this earth. Uh, don't you think that that in our fast-paced society, we've sped up to the extent that we have barely enough time to do the things that we need to do? I mean, how often do I miss having lunch, for instance, because 
I'm just too busy. But am well, better I better to miss lunch than the holy hour? Well, and I'm saying that I'm getting, I'm going on yeah. a limb saying this because I don't know that if I'm going to be able to maintain this as much as I'd like. I know there will some, be some times when I won't if I'm traveling or something like that. But I am making a resolution to do this. And of course, in COVID times, where our schedules and the kind of obligations we have are somewhat curtailed, I think to myself, this is the time to really get into this habit. But once this is over and we we are in a more hectic world, it'll be harder to do. But I am resolved with God's help to do it. And I will tell you that even just recently doing it, I feel much better spiritually, if that's the right way to put it, than I did when I did not do it. So I just, you know, I'm saying this publicly and maybe I shouldn't because I don't, certainly not boasting about it because I don't know that I'll be able to be faithful as much as I want to be. But I absolutely am convinced, and it wasn't just Fulton Sheen, this has been a part of the ideals of spiritual, priestly spirituality for a very long time. And priestly, uh, it could, should be every person's a desire to do something like that. I agree with you, 100% I agree with you. But I'm also going to say that for me, that would be a luxury to be able to spend one hour every single day, a holy hour, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I do believe in that. I do believe there's strength in that. The ability to fulfill our ministry as priests would be enhanced. But uh, to tell you the absolute truth, and this is confession time, I, I just wouldn't know where to find the time to do that and, and fulfill all the responsibilities that I have. And, and, and that's just me. So I hope, Archbishop, that when you're doing your holy hour, you offer up some of the graces for me and for the other priests that don't have the time or don't have the luxury to spend that time in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day. Will you do that for us? Yes, certainly, of course. I'm always praying for our priests. But I do think that we all have to make time. And uh, we all do things according to our priorities. And uh, it's not that the other things are bad. They may even be pressing, but I, we, we should try to make time. But let's leave it at that. Agreed. And thank you for your prayers. Speaking of prayers, let's look at the Feast of St. Francis de Sales, which is tomorrow on the 24th of January. He's the patron saint of writers and Christian unity, whose role as a priest and bishop helped bring thousands of Protestants back to the Catholic Church. In the late 16th and early 17th century, Francis de Sales conducted spiritual direction in person and in written correspondence, and this inspired his famous work, Introduction to the Devout Life. Now, I've personally never read that. Have you? Father John, you are digging a hole on this program. You, (laughs) You don't have time to make a priestly holy hour, and you've never read Introduction to the Devout Life. Have you? I, have you? It's one of the, yes, it's one God of the great classics of, of Catholic faith. And I, more than that, uh, there's a book uh, published by the Salesians, I believe, on St. Francis de Sales, that for every day of the year, there is an incident from his life that's recorded and, and something from his writings. And I must tell you that it's in the nightstand next to my bed. And every night before I turn the light out, I read the little selection for that day, from St. Francis de Sales, because he is absolutely a, a wonderful spiritual guide uh, and, and uh, was a very, very holy uh, and inspiring person. Well, my birthday is coming up in May. Maybe you want to think of getting me a gift like a copy of St. Francis de Sales' Introduction to the Devout Life. I must, though, tell you, I've read and continue to, to read many devotional, daily devotionals, maybe not by Francis de Sales, but by others. Okay. 
<laughs> Let's move on to something that is going to be taking place on Tuesday of this week. It's Speak Up and Succeed Day. It's a day that celebrates the importance of being able to speak publicly. Many people shy away from mastering this important skill. Did you take any special classes or receive training to deliver effective homilies or speeches, Archbishop? Well, not really. I, I uh, you know, we had a speech course in, in Rome uh, class, but uh, other than that, no, I can't say that I ever did. And uh, I think, uh, you know, with the well, past you and I were, years... You, you and I were in the same class in Rome. You remember Peter Johnson, who was from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London? He gave yes. us a speech course. The only thing I remember about that course is at the beginning, he wanted us to do some breathing exercise uh, yeah, yeah. where he wanted us to hold a piece of white paper up against the wall just by blowing our breath out. Yeah, yeah. And I was standing next to our classmate, uh, Raymond Cardinal Burke, and he and I were standing next to another trying to hold this paper up against the wall. And I don't think either of us succeeded in doing this, as I recall. I can picture that. I can picture that. Yes. Bo- both of you. But uh, so it's uh, it's it's a funny little memory. But uh, I think, uh, you know, I used to be terrified of public speaking. But I think, uh, you know, I always said, if I want to be a priest, I've got to do this. And with the passing of years now, it's not for me to decide how well I do it or don't. That's for others. But I certainly have become a lot more comfortable most of the time speaking in public and and much more uh, at ease and and possessed in what I want to say than I would have been uh, years ago. Well, if you were teaching a group of seminarians, what would you say as to the secret of effective homily delivery? It is preparation and and uh, thoughtfulness about what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. You know, to this day, I have a written text, but it's it's not meant to sound like a written text, and it's not meant to be read like a written text. But I, I glance down, and now some may say, well, it is too read. But quite honestly, I don't care because I do think that you have to have a thoughtful way of expressing yourself. Uh, you have to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you have to be able to to articulate it in an appealing way. You know, the art of preaching does require preparation and, and thought along all those lines. I totally agree. And, and, sometimes- a, and a homily that's just a, a, a telling stories about what you did during the week or, you know, where you went on vacation or, I don't know, th- that to me is not acceptable uh, for the Word of God. It's one thing to illustrate a, a funny thing or to, to tell a story about yourself, but you have to have substance, you know, about the gospel or about the the readings. You know what I think and have said to our priests about funeral homilies when they're just some kind of uh, eulogy or uh, uh, stories. I'm not saying those things can't be part of a, of a funeral homily, but ultimately it's about the proclamation of the Paschal Mystery and about the sacri- about being baptized and living a, a Christian life and, and us commending the, the person to the mercy of God, praying for them. It's not just about stories that could be told even by a person with no faith at all. True. Tuesday, January 25th, we observe the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. Paul's an outstanding example of a man of faith. However, at the time that he was converted, he appeared an unlikely candidate for conversion. Is there a lesson to be learned in Paul's conversion, Archbishop? Well, I think all the apostles were unlikely. God chooses the weak uh, nobodies of the world to confound the strong, as the scriptures say. And certainly, Paul, you know, the mystery of election, why some people are called to do what they do, and Paul's dramatic conversion. Of course, we're all converts, aren't we? The 12 apostles were all converts. And when I say that, I don't mean from Judaism to Christianity, although that's part of it, but I mean a conversion to a 
a new uh, way of life that's surrounded or centered on the person of Jesus Christ. So uh, Paul became this fearless uh, preacher, uh, you know, of, of the gospel, and uh, the rest is history. And would you say that uh, conversion is a process, a process that never really ends? Well, yes, of course. Uh, I mean, on, on Ash Wednesday, we're told with the ashes to, that we have to repent and believe in the gospel uh, because we always uh, have uh, the need to turn away from ourselves and from uh, the, the things of this world and to turn to God. So, yes, it's always a process of conversion. They say that as you get older, it is important to keep your brain active by engaging in problem-solving activities or puzzles. This is important to know since Saturday is National Puzzle Day. Studies have found that when we work on a jigsaw puzzle, we use both sides of the brain, and spending time daily working on puzzles improves memory, cognitive function, and problem-solving skills. Do you enjoy puzzles or problem-solving games, Archbishop? Oh, not too much. I, I don't really have much time for that. I, but, you know, I must say that, that I, I'm probably correct in saying that probably you, and now that you told me I, are the only two people in the Archdiocese of Hartford that will know that Saturday is National Puzzle Day. <laughs> when this is broadcast, others will know. Would you say that's a puzzle to be solved? If it keeps you alert, cognitively alert, and as we get older, I, I think it's much more important for us to look at those little things that keep us cognitively alert and aware of things that go on. Have you ever have you ever misplaced your keys, for instance, because you've been thinking of something else, and you put your keys down and you say, where did I put those keys? Listen, at my age, not only do I not remember because I'm thinking of something else, but even if mm -hmm. I'm not thinking of something else, I have trouble. I am getting, you know, up there. Well, so are you. My mother used to like to do crossword puzzles, I remember. Yeah, my mother did those too. That's another thing that I don't have time to do, sit down and do a crossword puzzle. But there are too many other puzzles that you're trying to resolve or put together that have something to do with everyday life and the challenges of everyday life. Are you leading into something here for our spiritual edification? <laughs> Only that prayer helps, no matter yes. what you're doing, I guess. In any case, let's take a look at our gospel reading on this third Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 23rd day of January. Today's reading is from Luke's Gospel, the first chapter. And after the gospel is dramatically presented, Archbishop will talk with you and ask for your thoughts. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us, just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the truth concerning the things of which you have been informed. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and a report concerning him went out through all the surrounding country. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and he went to the synagogue, as his custom was on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Today, 
this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So, Archbishop, talk to us about what this gospel means and suggests to you. Well, of course, as the text indicates, it's the very beginning of Luke's gospel, and um, it's about the beginning of Christ's uh, public ministry. And we see there that uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. Jesus says, today, the scripture passage uh, from Isaiah regarding uh, the the one who is anointed and sent. And remember, the word Christ comes from the word for the anointed one, that mm-hmm. Jesus says this is fulfilled today in your hearing, that Jesus uh, has come uh, as a fulfillment of all that was promised in the Old Testament, and so inaugurates this great drama of his public ministry, leading, of course, to his uh, passion, death, and resurrection, which is really the fulfillment of his mission. Well, Luke says many have compiled the narrative of the events that have taken place, just as eyewitnesses have handed them down. After investigating everything accurately anew, I too decided to write it down, so you may realize the certainty of the teachings that you have received. This seems to indicate the accuracy and the strength of what is to follow in Luke's gospel. Is Luke saying this in order to to say to us that he has examined these stories and found them to be accurate and therefore wants to share them with anyone who's willing to read? Well, our scripture scholar, Bishop Betancourt, could give you a much better answer to your question than me, but obviously the gospels each reflect a narration that complement one another. They certainly don't contradict one another, but they bear witness to this uh, event, this Christ event. Again, we'd have to go into all the technical things of for whom they were written under what circumstances that explain mm. uh, the, the, um, the reasons for the different accounts. And the bottom line is that they do not contradict one another. They, they give us uh, a, a multifaceted appreciation of the mystery of the person of Christ in his earthly life and in uh, the mysteries of, uh, of, uh, that accompany Uh, his life leading uh, us to to the church. What does it suggest to you that Luke should specifically state that Jesus went to the synagogue according to his custom? This was not a one-time visit. It was his custom to visit the synagogue. Well, Jesus was a devout Jew, raised according to the traditions of the the chosen people, and there's no reason to suspect that he would not be. Uh, But this says that, uh, you know, he is, I guess, what we would call an observant Jew, which is no surprise. Let's take a look at some of the questions that our listeners have submitted to us. For instance, Josh from Southington has a question for you, saying, My niece, who is pro-abortion and extremely critical of the Catholic Church, started working for Planned Parenthood this past fall. My wife and I are devout Catholics, obviously extremely pro-life. During our family Christmas dinner, we did our best to keep conversation light. However, a big debate broke out, which consequently ruined much of the night. How can I handle or diffuse what could be another very tumultuous situation in the future? Well, Josh, I, can, I mean, how can I? I can't really uh, solve this problem other than to say that uh, if uh, this is the situation, that there just be an understanding that you're not going to talk about any of these issues, uh, you know, at a family gathering. And secondly, that you, uh, and perhaps you already do this, that you pray for uh, your relatives who are so critical of the church and and pro-life. Ask God to give them a change of heart and to bless them, and uh, that's the only thing you can do. Yeah, that's a a very rough situation, especially when the family gatherings occur for specific holidays, and 
even to try to avoid the situation. Uh, I guess that's the best advice that one can give other than, as you say, pray for the person. Well, and the other thing, too, we have to realize is this is not just about pro-life. Uh, our country is becoming so divided about everything. Yeah. This is a very alarming uh, thing that we people can't they, – they have views that are so opposed and that they are so harsh in their uh, uh, relations with people who have a different view and, and all of this. This is, does not bode well for the future of our society, of our country. I mean, people can – disagree about things, but, uh, you know, there's a certain point where you have to be able to work together. This is so true. And because people disagree on so many fundamental things, like the importance of life and uh, the importance of of the sacredness of human life, it's difficult for people to to get beyond that and to work together on other issues. Yes. Well, it's gone far beyond the life issue. There are so many other Mm -hmm. things presented to us every day. Thoughtful people are very concerned about it, but the answer lies uh, with ourselves. Each of us have to do our part to be uh, civil uh, to one another and uh, and work together. Phyllis from Litchfield says, Pope Francis said in a recent interview published with the Vatican newspaper that there is a great urgency in this historical moment for meaningful relationships that we could define as spiritual fatherhood. The Pope said that at this time in history, many young people have the inability to make big life decisions and that it is not just up to priests to provide much-needed spiritual accompaniment. He said that the Christian faith is not something that can be learned from books or by simple reasoning, but rather through our relationships. What does the Pope mean by learning the Christian faith through our relationships? Well, Phyllis, I think he's just emphasizing something that that is so basic that uh, perhaps we are taking it for granted in a way that uh, is not help, uh, healthy. I think it's very obvious that no human being can survive alone. I mean, we were born into this world from the, the relationship of our father and mother in marriage. Uh, we have such a relationship coming from the womb of our mother, inserted into a family, a community, uh, a family of faith and the church. So we are not just so many individuals all doing our own thing and deciding for ourselves what we will do and who we will be. And so relationships uh, in this context, too, the, you know, faith is not just learned from a book or from a priest in the pulpit. Faith is something that is learned from the relationship, how we're born into a family. The church family, when we come together for Sunday Mass, uh, is a relationship all of these things are, are absolutely at the heart of being a human being, a human person. And I think what the Pope is saying is that uh, uh, we, we have to be in relationship with one another uh, spiritually, even in support, in order to bring other people along and in order to grow ourselves. The Pope says not something you learn from a book, but through our relationships with other people. I think today when we're, people are all locking themselves up in their yeah. own room with their computer and cell phone, when you see people in a restaurant both uh, on a cell phone instead of talking to one another, when kids become obsessed with this, uh, this uh, cell phone and computer world where they're not in relationship to other people in a healthy way, except through this artificial means, uh, this is not healthy. And I think that's what the Pope's trying to say. Using the cell phone as a tool of communication is fine, but using the cell phone in place of person-to-person discussion or communication 
it doesn't doesn't cut it. It's not the same. And there's a big difference between talking with somebody person to person and talking on a cell phone or texting or emailing by way of a cell phone. It's just not the same. The communication breakdown is so much more intense if it is not person to person, eyeball to eyeball. Yeah, I think we're learning from this, all the Zoom calls that I've had to be on for different things for the church that it's just not the same. Yeah. I mean, you can get some things done. You get a lot done. But it's not from a human point of view, a relational point of view. It's not uh, – there's something missing. And uh, we hope with the end of COVID that we'll be able to restore something more human. Steve from Hartford says, On the news, I heard about an elementary school in Illinois that is offering an after-school Satan club sponsored by the National Satanic Temple. It says it offers a different viewpoint to the after-school Christian Fellowship Club for kids that was already being offered. There were protesters outside of the meeting mobilized by a local pastor. A co-founder of the group claimed the club wasn't meant to engage discussions about religion, but said it is an educational program meant to focus on critical thinking and just basic education skills. If this is what our young children are being exposed to, what hope do we have for God to remain an important part of the lives of future generations? Well, it's part of the times in which we live, and uh, I gather that... uh, from what the explanation given here, that the co-founder just chose the name Satan Club to be provocative and to elicit interest in claiming that it's not really about something satanic. I find that hard to believe. And I must say that, you know, who was it, the English writer uh, who said, you know, when it comes to the devil, if you throw a line in the water, uh, you better be careful because you you may find uh, a tug on that fishing line one of these days. The devil is real and, you know, not to be trifled with. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's anything... I think it's maybe a sign of how people really don't believe that there is such a thing or that they they think they can just skirt around it in a flippant way. But it's nothing to be flippant about. Very important to stay away from anything connected with satanic things. But, you know, there are places in the country now where People, for the sake of being uh, of equality, are appointing satanic chaplains uh, to to different, uh, you know, in prisons, I think even in the military, uh, that if you claim to be a devil worshiper, they provide you with some kind of chaplaincy. I hope I'm wrong about that, but I'm almost sure I've heard of that being the case in some in some situations. This is very, very troubling. Lee from North Haven says Jesus mentions that we should talk to him. What do you think he means? Structured prayer, praise and glory worship? Or does he mean just talking with him like he was your good friend? He says we must be like little children, and little children talk plainly. They explain their feelings openly. What is your opinion on this matter of talking to God? Well, yes, Leah, I mean, we, Jesus is a person, a divine person, a, a, a true God and true man, fully human, fully divine, risen from the dead, and in a way that transcends our understanding. Uh, we can and should be in a personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. And some prayers are formal and written. Certainly the the, the, the Mass, for example, is the supreme prayer. Although those prayers at Mass are almost all directed to God the Father through, with, and in Jesus Christ. But we also need to speak uh, our heart uh, and mind to Jesus by entering into recollection you know, uh, and and meditation, and then voicing uh, to our Lord uh, words of praise, of thanksgiving, of petition, of adoration, 
uh, and I think Christian prayer uh, cultivates that that sense of of prayer, raising your mind and heart to God, expressed in words, also in attitudes of your uh, gestures, you know, of being quiet and on your knees, perhaps, or in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, or a beautiful icon or painting of Our Lord, Our Lady, or the Saints. But yes, we we are called to enter into this personal relationship. It is one of faith because we don't literally hear someone speaking to us in in return. But we do know that there is a communication to our hearts and minds that comes on a spiritual level, and that is uh, and that's a very important part of prayer. The prayer is not just reciting words. Uh, even the Our Father, as glorious and as important, essential a prayer as that is, it's not the the end of prayer. Uh, you know, when we say the various petitions, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, we also can take time to, how should I say, express in our own life to our Lord uh, where we're at in regard to those things. And speaking of prayer, Archbishop, since we've come to the end of our time together, can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, we give you thanks for blessing us with the gift of life in this world and, above all, for the gift of eternal life that we have received in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we may be made worthy of such a gift by a life of faith, hope, and love, ever seeking to draw closer to you through our love for one another, and especially for our love even of our enemies, for those who wish us ill, for those perhaps who are suffering or in any kind of need. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you next week at the same time. Until then, we wish you well. Thank you. Have a good holy hour this week, Father. And don't forget to pray for us during your holy hour. I will gladly do it. I'm going to make every effort that I can to make sure at least, at least one day this week, I make a holy hour.